The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. Jenny Simpson meets people on their gardening journey and helps them grow, bloom, and thrive, both in their garden and life. In this episode, we talk about how being a student of your garden puts you on a track to success. Jenny and Jerry Simpson are growers and retailers of specialized plants that thrive in the often challenging climate of the southeastern United States. Their Creekside Nursery is an all-hands-on-deck family operation located in the serene countryside outside of Dallas, North Carolina. As a Proven Winners Destination Garden Center, they offer the region's largest selection of Proven Winners plants. Jenny creates and publishes five very informative garden videos a week. You will want to follow Jenny's family adventures along with 75,000 plus followers at Gardening with Creekside on their YouTube channel. This is episode 88, Be a Student of Your Garden, with Jenny Simpson on the Garden Question Podcast. You're invited to engage with us on Instagram at the Garden Question Podcast. If you'd like to email me directly, the address is question at thegardenquestion.com. That's question at thegardenquestion.com. Please remember, your ratings and reviews are always appreciated. Jenny, you're always saying, be a student of your own garden. What does that mean? So being a student of your own garden simply means that you become very aware of the space that you have been given to garden. My garden here in North Carolina, I'm a zone 7B, can be very different from your garden in Georgia or my friend's garden in Texas. Heck, my garden right here can be very different from my own mama's garden that is half a mile away. When you're a student of your own garden, you know its strengths, its weaknesses, what works, what doesn't work. You use trial and error to find your successes and your messes, and you figure out maybe what kind of microclimates you have in your garden, meaning do you have an area that's exceptionally warm? Do you have an area that's exceptionally wet? Understanding your garden and how it works, and then finding the right plants that thrive in that space. What makes a southern garden different? Well, here in the south, of course, we are blessed with a very long growing season. So for me, I can start put out my annuals depending on what kind it is. Maybe it's in March and I can have those annuals all the way through late November, depending on the weather. So we have a really long growing season. Also, of course, our lovely heat and humidity. Where we are in the Piedmont of North Carolina, our nights just do not cool down in the summertime. So it's extremely hot, very sticky, very humid. That can be really challenging on plants because it puts a lot of stress on those plants. Also, I have red clay soil. So a lot of folks who are not in the South or not in this area, 
Maybe they just don't understand how to deal with that red clay soil. And it's really challenging for them to understand that it can actually be a positive thing instead of a hindrance. So how do you deal with your red clay? Mm. (laughs) Well, this time of year, it's a hot mess. That mud gets everywhere. Really, it's just some basic things, understanding that soil. So what we always teach our customers and our viewers is that when you are planting, especially your perennials, your trees and your shrubs, you always want to make sure that you're not planting your plants too deep. That's something that we always preach. I always tell my folks, you need to see about an inch or a little bit more of that root ball sticking above the level of the soil. Because, especially this time of year, we were just talking about how it's really rainy. We're getting, we have really notorious wet winters. And if you're going to lose a plant or struggle with a plant, it's going to be in the wintertime. If it's buried too deep because that water is going to pool around the crown of the plant, it could rot, especially like if you have like a butterfly bush or a Russian sage, right? They like it dry. So you've got to learn to plant those plants up a little bit high so they have really good drainage and then amending the soil. A lot of gardeners, I believe, just kind of neglect and don't think about the chemistry, the life, the balance of their soil. We really try to teach people that the importance of amending your soil with all that great organic material every season, like even if it's just once a year, a high quality compost or aged pine bark vines to really amend that soil and add some more nutrition, organic matter into the clay. So that way it's not so compacted. So you're top dressing the soil? We do. Typically when I'm planting, I do not just amend the hole. In fact, I don't really amend my hole at all. We just put in a massive new privacy berm in front of our house to separate the house and the nursery. When we were creating that, we went in and did bulk compost as a top dressing. Then as I'm planting the plants, then some of that course gets mixed in. That is a general rule. If I need to amend the soil, I may put one part compost to four parts of my natural native soil. Then just gently top dress around that plant in the coming years. When you're doing annuals and perennials, are you amending more than you do woody ornamentals? I do. We have really found that those annuals really thrive when you can give them as much organic matter and just that supplemental food because a lot of times our annuals are really prolific bloomers, right? I compare annuals to like a sprinter where a perennial is like a marathon runner. They're going the distance. Those annuals, the sprinters, need a ton of food and energy. If I'm putting annuals in the ground, and typically in my garden, I put my annuals kind of in the same space every year because I have those little pockets for my annuals. We really focus on adding in the compost, the aged pine bark vines, and just giving them lots of good nutrition, and they just thrive. So the more you can do that for your annuals, the better. I bet you've seen many new transplanted gardeners to your area, and we've already talked about adapting to your local conditions and studying your garden. What seems to be the biggest challenge for someone new moving into your area? I think a lot of people, whenever they're moving into a completely different climate, a completely different state, a completely different growing zone, everything's brand new. We're getting a lot of folks in North Carolina from up north. We have a lot of folks from New York, New Jersey, Boston. A lot of those folks are coming down to the south. They're not used to our extensive climate, like the the length of our season and then the heat and the humidity and how just oppressive that the humidity can be. 
it's tough on us as humans, right? And so, but we can go inside the air conditioning and our poor plants, they're stuck outside all day and all night. What worked for them in their climate previously, what they knew, even if they were fantastic gardeners, when you completely transplant yourself into a climate such as that North Carolina has, you have to think really fast on your feet and be really intentional about trying to figure out what plants work best in this area. When we have folks come in, that's what we specialize here at Creekside is helping people find plants that thrive in their gardens. I feel like that's my job as a nursery woman, as someone who is a gardener here. It's my job to test the plants and say, well, this plant does really well here in North Carolina where we are, or this is a great plant, but it does not work here. Because I want my customers, my viewers to be successful because if they're successful, then they're going to continue to garden more and more. It's really important for me to figure out where they're coming from and teach them the basics of gardening in the South with the heat, the humidity, and the clay soil, if they have clay soil. As a nursery grower, I bet you get excited this time of year because you've already made your plant order for next year, next season, and you're just anticipating growing out and being able to find homes for those plants. Why don't we look at your plant materials that you're really excited about that's coming up next year? For me, when those plants start arriving, it's like Christmas morning. I get so excited to see those sweet little babies arrive. We start with annuals, and for us, they come as liners. So it's a very small little, basically a baby plant starting in January, and then we plant up through March. Some of my ones that I'm super excited about as far as like with the annuals, there are some really fun new petunias coming out on the market. We work a lot with Proven Winners. I know those annuals really well. One of my favorite series with Proven Winners and their petunias is the Mini Vista series. They are a little bit of a smaller bloom, kind of similar to like a Calibracoa, that size, but they have the vigor and they can handle being in the ground like a petunia because they are a petunia. There's a red, then there is a little mini yellow petunia, and then there is a really nice deep dark purple. Those three new colors in that Mini Vista series is going to be a lot of fun. Those are going to be some great ones. The new plants that are coming out as far as like there's some shrubs that are really fun. I just planted, it's called Perfecto Mundo and it's pink carpet. This great reblooming azalea, but it's really tiny and it's petite. So it can only get about maybe one to two feet tall, but like two to three feet wide. So it truly is a spreading azalea that has this really soft pink blooms on it. Be fantastic for like the front of your garden. If you need a ground cover, like an evergreen ground cover that blooms three times a year, then Perfecto Mundo pink carpet is a great one. Just really super excited to add that one to my garden. In fact, we just added it last week into our new garden space. Now, is that going to take full sun or is it just going to be a filtered light? It is. So it's a full sun plant and just a nice little petite little fella that will be a great ground cover and give us those three seasons of color. It'll bloom really nice, heavy flush in the spring. Proven Winters even encourages, even though it blooms on new growth and old growth, after it blooms in the spring, give it a little bit of a trim 
to encourage that new flush of growth. So that way you get a really nice set of blooms in the summer. And then again, you'll have another set in the fall. I've been looking for a replacement for gardenia radicans, which is a low-growing gardenia. That sounds like that'd be a good choice. It's going to be super fun. And I put it right in front of some arborvitaes. So that'll be a nice contrast to have that nice pop of color, that soft pink against the dark green, different texture of the arbs behind them. So super excited about that one. I like those. How about some more? Oh, my gosh. Well, we could just sit here and talk about plants now all the day long, now, can't we? Oh, yeah. There's so many wonderful ones. So the Beyond Paint Caryopteris. I've tried some Caryopteris before. Caryopteris is this great shrub that is typically a bloomer in the late season. This Beyond Paint is the most precious, really cool, soft baby doll pink blooms. And the plant is absolutely covered in these really fun little stalks with these pink like puff balls on it that just go up the whole entire stalk. For me, it didn't start blooming until early September. I don't know about other southern gardens, but my garden starts to look a little sad and tired in September. So to have a shrub that sends out this flush of brand new, really fresh pink flowers is fantastic. The pollinators go nuts over it. They were just covering this Beyond Pink. That was one that I'm super excited about. I've got it actually in a couple of locations in the garden. We hope to have more of that available for our customers as the seasons come on, because that's the thing with the shrubs, right? When, they, when they're brand new, it takes a little while to get them out onto the market. But that's a really fun one. So if anybody sees a Beyond Pink Caryopteris in your garden center, grab it. You will not be disappointed. Any other shrubs? It's not brand new to the market, but there's a couple of them, hydrangeas. Can't talk about the South without talking about hydrangeas. There's two of them. Depending on the size of your garden and your space, I love the paniculatas for the South. For me, they just do the best in my garden. Because they bloom on new growth, every year I'm guaranteed flowers, which I love. There's a firelight tidbit which is a really nice, petite paniculata, because a lot of times we think of those pinnacle hydrangeas as being really big, and a lot of people don't have space for those. Well, Firelight Tidbit maxes out in that two to three foot range, and it has this really nice mounded habit, a little wider than it is tall, nice, soft, white, creamy blooms that really, for us, even turn a little bit of a pink because sometimes that can be hard for us southern gardeners to have those panicle hydrangeas to turn pink just because of our heat and humidity at night. Firelight Tidbit does it and it does it really well. We planted this in a landscape that was actually at our church and so we planted them in the absolute worst time of year. It was middle to end of July. This place is not on irrigation. Of course, it's surrounded by concrete, like the absolute worst conditions you can possibly think of to put a hydrangea. And these just did amazing. So we put it in last year. This was the first full year that they were in. Stunning. Absolutely gorgeous. And then, of course, it being there at the church, high traffic area, all I can think of is maybe a child fell on top of one of the hydrangeas and just destroyed it. And I was like, oh, no, we're going to have to replace that. Well, life happens, and I kind of forgot about it. Probably about a month, six weeks later, I went back and looked at it, and that sucker had flushed out all over again and was getting ready to put on new buds. It can handle some stress. So Firelight Tidbit's good for small areas. And then another one that I love is Quick Fire Fab. It's going to be the earliest panicle hydrangea to bloom on the market. So it blooms about two weeks earlier than other hydrangeas, about six to eight feet tall, about five to six feet wide. 
So if you want something to have a bigger presence, but not an overwhelming presence, then the Quick Fire Fab is a great one. They are just gorgeous hydrangeas, creamy white, turns to a nice pink rose, and does really, really well here in the South. You've got a lot of perennials, and when you think perennials, I automatically think pollinators. Can you bring us up to speed with what's coming on the market or what you're excited about on that? Absolutely. So pollinators is all the buzzword these days, and this is a new one on the market. I got to trial it last year. It is the meant-to-be queen nectarine. This is an agastache or agastache, however you want to pronounce it. Just like that Beyond Paint is a late fall bloomer, so is the Queen Nectarine. And what's fun about this Queen Nectarine that I love for multiple reasons is, one, the color. is a really soft peach color, and it'll have a nice little presence in your garden. It's basically going to be like a three-by-three. And it loves to be hot, so it's really good for the south. It loves to be kind of dry and neglected. This is not a plant that you're going to fuss over. We love that about perennials. You can essentially kind of plant them and forget them. But when it blooms, it has all of these beautiful, really tight, upright. It's not a floppy plant. It's not a messy plant. Just covered in blooms from the bottom of the stalk all the way up to the top in that really soft peach color pollinators just covering this plant all over it for sure. So that's one that I'm really, really excited about. Had some great success past summer with some great echinacea. Echinacea, of course, we all know echinacea. There's just probably hundreds or thousands of different ones out there on the market. There's just some really fun ones because of that late summer color and the pollinators coming in. It's fantastic. One of my favorite ones is called Once in a Melon, and it really is a beautiful kind of a cantaloupe color. And I have never seen flowers as large on a plant like this echinacea. They are just massive. They are probably about six inches across. They are huge, absolutely massive. Cantaloupe is the best way I can describe it. I think every Southerner knows that color of a cantaloupe. It's a beautiful plant, beautiful plant for sure. Monarda is absolutely wonderful. I remember when I first started gardening, I had some Jacob's Klein. The first year was great. And then the second year, I was like, okay, it's spreading. And every year, it just got more and more prolific in my garden. We eventually had to get rid of it. And I love the Jacob's Klein because it had this beautiful, really deep red flowers. It was kind of taken over my garden, and then it would flop. There is a new Minarda coming from Proven Winners, and this is the Upscale Red Velvet. Gives you that classic, really red flowers that we know of Jacob's Klein, but a much more manageable size. It's only going to be three feet tall, three feet wide, and just a really prolific bloomer and not invasive at all. Clump will spread, but it's very responsible. It's a very respectful plant in your garden, but you get all those great benefits of the Minarda without it being a, quote, bully plant or taking over your garden. How about hibiscus? Are you excited about any of those? (laughs) Yes, yes. I think probably my favorite one that's coming out is the Summerific Lilac Crush. I have never had a purple hibiscus before, but this Lilac Crush is just the most beautiful, soft, lavender, lilac color purple. It was so prolific in my garden this year. I have three of them right off of my patio, and they love the spot, full sun. It was sun up to sun down. It is probably in the hottest spot of my garden. 
is on irrigation, which is very helpful because perennial hibiscus can be bog plant. The more moisture you can give them, the faster and the happier they are. Those three together bloom all the way up through late October. They just massive dinner plate size, beautiful, soft purple blooms, just fantastic. I cannot wait to see them come back next year and see how big and beautiful they are. How do you handle the deer pressure with the different plants? That is probably one If not, my top question that I get is definitely in like the top five. Creekside Nursery is a retail center, so we have customers that come and shop, but it is also on our personal property. So our house and the nursery sit on the same plot of land. We are blessed that we have eight and a half acres where we are. We are surrounded by wood. Now we have neighbors, but we call them country neighbors. You can't really see each other because there's lots of woods in between us. We have deer where we are. In fact, I was just out walking the other day and I saw their little hoof prints in the mud. But they really leave our plants alone. A lot of gardeners don't like to hear that from me when I say, oh, I don't have deer problems. The only thing that I can think of is that we live surrounded by so much natural native vegetation that the deer have plenty of food to eat for their natural diet that they just don't come to my garden. That is my personal experience. I have a ton of customers that have real deer problems, just horrible. And I admire them for their persistence and their perseverance in gardening. I can only imagine how frustrating that must be. So when we talk about like deer resistant plants, I want to make sure that I tell people this is deer resistant, not deer proof. I don't think there's any plant that is deer proof. If a deer is hungry, starving, it is going to eat whatever is in front of it. When we're talking about deer, I try to talk with people and can you put up a physical barrier? Because with the habit of deer, once they have a path, they're very much creatures of habit and that they like to go through that path. Is there something that you can do to block that so that they have to find another way around so maybe they won't come into your garden? I've had customers that have a lot of great success using different deer sprays. Talking with some gardeners, some of the best success is when they have maybe three different deer repellents that they use. Every time that they apply, they switch it. So they have their their repellent in a rotation. They're not constantly spraying the exact same repellent every week throughout the whole summer. They're trying to switch up the scent so it kind of throws the deer off. And then, of course, there are plants that are more deer resistant. It seems every time I say, oh, well, this plant, you know, is deer resistant, you know, deer don't like it. There will always be a customer or a viewer that's like, nope, not in my yard. They ate it to the ground. That's where it is that you're a student of your own garden, right? What works and what doesn't work? What will the deer leave alone? And what do they find is just a buffet and they love it and they engorge themselves on it? That's interesting that you don't have any deer pressures at all. And you've got all these nice, young, tasty plants outside that you're growing. I know. It's really funny. In the summertime, it's always right around Father's Day. That's when we pot up our mums for our fall season. They're growing all summer long out there in the sun, out in a wide open field. And it never fails, though, that there'll be about three mums on the outer edge. And you can tell it's probably like the teenagers or it's the babies. And they come along and they'll just munch on one side. They taste it and they're like, oh, this tastes terrible because it'll happen one time in a season and that's it. Never come back and they just leave it alone. It's really kind of funny. It is quite interesting. We have deer, but they leave us alone. Do you have dogs at the nursery? 
I do. But we've only had her for a year. So she's a German Shepherd. Her name is Brenna. If you watch any of our videos in the last year, she is my shadow. She is a garden dog through and through. All I have to do is say, hey, Brenna, you ready to go outside? And she yelps and runs to the door. At night, she's inside. She just turned a year in October. I would say that it does help, but then again, we've only had her for a year, so we've been gardening more than a year. Y'all been in the retail business, what, five or six years? Well, yeah. The retail portion of Creekside really, like the last probably six or seven years, we have been in business since 2005. Started out very small, going to the farmer's market, selling produce. We just kept taking the next step and the next step and what makes Creekside better. We were always Creekside Nursery because we have a creek that cuts our property in half. We were like, what can we do better next year? That will be a better experience for us and for our customers. We started in 2005 and here we are in 2022 doing this. Never imagined it in a million years, but here we are and just having a great time. Well, what led you and your husband, Jerry, to get into the growing? You said you started small, but what motivated you to begin with to get into the nursery business? It really is just kind of this crazy story. Jerry and I were both public school teachers. I was in middle school. Jerry was elementary education. Before we got married, we knew that when we started a family that I would stay home. When our first year, when we after we built our house, this is the property that we live on, we started a garden. My husband is a very overachiever. It wasn't just a small garden. It was a quite a large garden. What are we going to do with all this stuff? We just gave it away. So the next year, Jerry said, you know, you're at home now with Emily. We could supplement our income a little bit. What if we expand the garden and then go and sell at the farmer's market? And I was like, well, that sounds fun. Sure, let's do that. Why not? That was the beginning of the end, shall we say. And every year, the garden grew a little bit more, bigger and bigger. We actually had a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, that supported about 25 families. We have three children, and they were born within five years of each other. That third one, Jackson, call him our extra blessing because he wasn't planned. He was born in late April. If you know anything about gardening in the South, that's when it all hit. (laughs) We had a newborn, a a two-and-a-half-year-old, and not quite a five-year-old. It was madness. And so we said, okay, we're going to phase out of doing vegetables and focus more on plants because plants are a little bit more forgiving. If I don't sell this hanging basket this week, it's okay. I can bring it back next week and it'll be prettier and it'll be great. If I don't sell this tomato today, well, then it's gone. That's how we moved into full-time with plants. The idea was have people come to our property because this is such a beautiful piece of land. Unfortunately, people don't get to experience the country a lot anymore. They're living in some neighborhoods, and so we want to have a place where people can come and let their kids run wild and just run free, and it's okay, it's safe. They're not going to get hit by a car or run out in the street. We're very proud of the fact that there's no asphalt within Creekside. It's a really beautiful area that people can come and just relax and enjoy beautiful property and get some great plants at the same time. Are you open year-round? What our season is right now is we will open for the season in about mid-February, and that is really because of our customers. Our customers are like, when are you going to open? When are you going to open? The past two years, especially after the pandemic, people were just itching to get back to the garden centers. Mid-February is typically when we open, depends on the weather. So if it's snowing that weekend, if that's our rare snow, then we'll wait a weekend. But typically it's mid-February, and then we have been typically closing right around Thanksgiving. We take December, January, and then that first part of February, the retail portion of the nursery is closed so that we can get a lot of projects done around here. 
sales just kind of naturally taper off during that time because of the holidays and coldest parts of the year, basically February through November. How did you get people to make the trip out and find you in the country? (laughs) That is a great question. And we ask ourselves that like so many times. How do we get people to come out to the country beyond Dallas and Cherville, North Carolina? Most people don't know where Dallas and Cherville, North Carolina are. We're about 40 miles west of Charlotte in the country. You do not just happen to find us. We are not on a major road. We are definitely out in the countryside. That was probably our biggest problem when we started Creekside was to get people to come to us. Like, how do we get our name out there? Well, do we run an ad in the newspaper? Well, that's a lot of money for a brand new company. Nobody's going to see it. So what do we do? All right. Well, why don't we turn to social media? Because that's free. I can get on Facebook and post things. That's what we did. So we started turning to social media and Facebook was our first. We would do Facebook lives on Saturday morning. Jerry would follow me with his phone. He had no microphone. Looking back at it, I'm so impressed of the people that would actually watch us because I'm like, oh my gosh, it was horrible. <laughs> he would follow me with the camera on his phone, no microphone. I would just walk through the nursery and show people what we had, what is looking really good right now, and how can you use it in your garden. It'd be really fun because he would be like, oh, well, Martha says, hey, or Suzanne has this question. So it was that live, we could interact back and forth with our viewers. That was a lot of fun. And then we realized that people loved videos. Using that social media and the power of videos, that is what has brought Creekside and its, quote, fame to where it is now. We have people, because of social media, mainly our YouTube channel, they travel from all over the country to come see us. It's really fun to have folks come see us. They watch our videos. We do five videos a week, gardening, what's happening here at the nursery, those kinds of things. They just come out and hang out with us for the day and shop and come with their list of their plants, take them back home. It's a lot of fun, but social media has completely changed who the audience is of Creekside Nursery. You rely a lot on your family, your husband, your children also help you. Do you have other people helping you? Absolutely. My husband, Jerry, and I are most definitely a team, for sure. He's the main grower and a great salesperson and the big visionary. He's the one that has these big dreams, and then I'm the one that comes in with the details and the fine-tuning and just puts that warm touch on things. We do have three kiddos. We have two girls and a boy. They are 18, 15, and 12. They all play a different role in the nursery. We want them to be involved. They have always been involved, even as infants, right? Because you just had to tag along and come on. As they've gotten older, we want them to be involved because they are a part of our family, and this is a family business. But we want them to find an area that they enjoy. Our oldest daughter, she enjoys more of the production side. She also helps the retail at the nursery, so she helps with checkout. But she really kind of enjoys production side a little bit more. Our middle daughter is kind of my artsy girl, so she helps edit the videos. She has that great eye for putting plant combinations together. If I have a question about a garden design, even if I want to run something by somebody, I'll be like, hey, Megan, what do you think about this placement with this plant or so forth? So she's great on that. And then Jackson, who is 12, he is all boy. He wants to be outside. 
we were actually pouring concrete tomorrow. And so we've been prepping for that. He has been in heaven running all the machinery, being out there, getting dirty and working with the guys. Love it. As Creekside has grown, we need more than that. We need everybody's help. And so we have been able to bring on a nursery manager, Josh, who is a great friend of ours, who has lots of experience in small business, horticulture, customers, and has been a huge, massive asset to the whole company. And then we also rely a lot on high school kids and college kids in the summer for that seasonal help because, of course, they need some money to get through the year. They are wonderful. And we have some that have come back for multiple years. We just really adore having them. And then some of our best employees have been young moms whose kids are in school. Their days are free and they love being outside. They love to garden and they want some alone time out in the garden, whatever aspect that is for them. <laughs> um, and they love talking to other people about plants. And so we have been really blessed with some great ladies to come join our Creekside team. They are so willing to do anything, whether it's stain tables or weed the garden or production and moving plants or talking to customers about some of their favorite plants and helping them find solutions for their garden is great. We definitely need as much help as we possibly can get. What we're perceiving as a big challenge in our industry is engaging the younger people in gardening because they seem to be more of the electronic diversions. How do you attract so many young people to engage them in working in the industry? We've been blessed, one, because we do have teenage kids. We kind of pull from their resources. So we're like, okay, what friends do you know that would fit this mold? We can kind of pull from that. We really look at people's personality as far as like coming in to work at the nursery. Like I tell people, it's like you can know nothing about plants, but if you're willing to learn and you're an outgoing personality, absolutely, we can teach you everything about plants. You're absolutely right. My kids are the exact same. I mean, I have three teenagers. If you give them a choice of saying, hey, do you want to be on this piece of technology or be outside where it's hot and sweaty? What do you? <laughs> of course, they're going to choose the technology. As a parent, it's my job to say there's a time that you can have this technology, but there's also you need to get outside. Once they get the bug and they really kind of feel how fun it is to be out there with other folks and to create something, quote, from nothing, right? So when they have that taste of success of growing something, whether it's a flower or if it's a vegetable or it's my son who wants to build something, find something that they're interested in as far as like with kids, find something that they like. Do they like flowers? Okay, well, let's start growing some sunflowers because sunflowers grow really fast and they produce lots of flowers over you know, a relatively quick period. Give them some sort of taste of success really quickly, then just encourage them and continue to have them out there with you. I know as a parent, especially in the beginning, it can be quite difficult to have a child who is trying to help you. In the beginning, it's more of a hindrance. If you put that time in, and teach them and so that they understand why things happen, then they get that great understanding and appreciation for the hard work that goes into the beautiful successes that come later. It's been really fun. We have one of our employees, she's 18, came to work with us when she was 16. Really, her parents said, you need to get a job because you don't have any money. So she needed a job. She really didn't like to get dirty. She hates bugs. 
but she has a really fun personality and she's like, well, I'll try it. This will be her third year that she's been with us. And just the other day, she was like, you know, Jenny, I've been thinking about, I want to do a container next year, something different. Last year I did this jazzberry petunia, but this year I want to do a different kind of combination. And I want to put a coleus in there. I don't know which one. And then I do, I want to put a petunia, not sure which one, but she was just having the most fun. And here it is before Christmas, and she's already dreaming about her plants for the spring. And I was like, yes, we are successful. She's got the bug, and she that will continue for the rest of her life because she will remember the time that she has spent here, and that's the most valuable thing. What about moms? Do you find that they want to keep their kids' hands clean and not get dirty, or how do, how do they respond? As moms, we are all different and unique in our own way. I think moms that come to us as the garden center, because they are coming, actually coming to the garden center, they're all for, let's get out there, let's get dirty, let's get sweaty, let's have some fun. And that is where, talking about that next generation, I think if I can grab and get the attention and get those moms, those young moms successful in the garden, their children are going to see mama really likes to be outside. And I love my mama and I want to be with my mama, especially when they're young, right? When you have little ones, they just want to be with you. If you're outside, they're going to be outside right there with you. For the most part, kids love to get dirty. If you give them that opportunity, they love to get dirty. They love to get their hands squishing in the dirt, you know, smelling the flowers and just, you know, being kids and getting out into nature. That sparking that love and that interest and taking the fear out of the gardening for the moms, the kids see that and are in there. And we have a lot of young families that come to the nursery on a very regular basis. They get to come out and hang out with Miss Jenny for a little bit. You can tell, right? If a mom's out there and she's got her two little ones with her and she's by herself, she just wants to go look at plants. So if I'm able, I will grab those kids with mama's permission and say, hey, do you want to come over here and pick some strawberries? Mama's right there. She's looking at her flowers. Come over here and pick some strawberries. And then they think it's so much fun. So the next time they come back, they're like, hey, Miss Jenny, do you have some strawberries that we can eat? I don't know. Well, let's go look at the strawberry plant. Or end of the season. Well, no, strawberries are over now. Just getting those mamas out there and giving them experiences and letting those kids have the freedom to say, I want to do this pot. Okay, we'll pick out a plant in here that you like, you know, especially annuals. Just have fun. You like pink flowers? Here's a great pink flower. Go for it. What do you wish people would do differently when designing, building, or growing a garden or landscape? I think the biggest thing I wish people would do is to really think about plants' mature size when they're planning and planting their garden. I can't tell you how many customers have come to me and said, I just moved into this house. This is my situation. They have this gigantic holly tree, camellia, or crepe myrtle, growing right on the side of their house. Whoever planted that 20, 30 years ago never thought about that this plant is going to get massive one day. In my garden, and when I'm talking to other people, we always talk about mature size. Okay, this plant at maturity is going to be three feet wide, six feet wide, 20 feet tall, whatever size it is. We need to plan accordingly and put it in its right location. There's not bad plants, but there is bad plant placement. Think about just that mature size and allowing for those plants to grow to their mature size and have them in the right location in your garden. 
if somebody falls in love with a plant, but they don't have the spot for it, it's always, well, I'll keep it cut back. <laughs> that doesn't ever happen. <laughs> no, it doesn't because life happens. That's the lie that we always tell ourselves. Oh, I'll be sure and do that. And honestly, really, and even if you do, what if you sell your house and you leave and somebody else moves into that house and then they're I'd say, quote, stuck with a bad situation. But that's what's so great, though, about some of these new plants that are coming onto the market. Because every year, just like we've talked about, there's new plants always coming out onto the market. And with these new genetics, we're able to find the characteristic of plants that we love, like a camellia in the South, synonymous camellia is just a fantastic plant. Especially some of those japonicas can just get massive. Well, some of the new cultivars are a lot smaller. You still get your blooms. But it's a smaller plant. One of the ones I love right now, it's blooming in my garden, is gorgeous. It's the white shishi camellia by the Southern Living Plant Collection. It is the most beautiful, pure white, double bloom camellia. But it's this petite. It's not going to get huge. So I can have it up to my patio in a relatively confined space, and it's going to do really well. Just like that firelight tidbit hydrangea earlier, it's a little tiny hydrangea that will fit into a small space. So it's all about, yeah, finding the right plant for the right spot. Yeah, and that's so important because our garden sizes seem to be shrinking these days. They do, yes. That's something very much needed is that smaller plant, but still delivers the big boom for you. Right, right. My sister lives in a condo in downtown Charlotte. She has zero garden. She has no yard, but she has a balcony. She has containers on her balcony. And if she wanted a hydrangea, then I could say this would be a great hydrangea for this. Or if you wanted to have a camellia, well, this is going to be the most petite camellia on the market or a gardenia. So you can find with these new genetics and plants, whether it's a small garden or a patio garden or a container garden, a rooftop garden, whatever space you have, we can find you a plant. What garden myth would you like to smash? Because I deal with it so much is that clay soil is horrible to grow in for your garden. That's one that we just get all the time, both here at the garden center and from our viewers. They're like, this clay soil is terrible. You can't grow anything in it. I lovingly laugh and I say, but look around at all these gorgeous trees, how beautiful and green the South is. You can grow plants really, really well in clay soil. You just have to know a couple of tips and tricks to make it be successful. So that's what I would love for people to stop saying that clay soil is horrible to grow in. It's not. You just have to know a few tricks. What is your earliest garden memory? So I come from a family of farmers, generations of farmers, but probably... Some of my earliest, fondest, and it's not necessarily a garden, but it's outside, would be riding on my daddy's tractor with him as he plows the field. I love that smell of that combination of the diesel from a tractor and that freshly turned soil. That smell combination is just very fond memories for me. So even if Jerry's out and plowing the field, honey, I'm right there with him because I want to smell that delicious smell of the earth. It sounds crazy, but the fumes from the tractor because I got to spend time with my daddy doing that. Tell us a funny garden story. So Jackson was helping me. He was probably at that time 10. He was 9 or 10 years old. And I was out trimming the boxwoods in the front of our house. Of course, I had the hedge trimmers. He wants to help. So I was like, okay, 
I let him have a boxwood and I was standing right beside him, showing him how to prune it. And all of a sudden he pruned it and I saw this little black head poke out of the boxwood. So I stopped Jackson from going back again. It was this massive black snake that had wound itself up inside of the boxwood. And when Jackson passed over it, it didn't nick him, but he was not happy. His head popped out and then Jackson and I moved back. I love my black snakes, but he did startle me a bit. We let him go and he slithered off, but whoo, old Blackie was tangled up in that boxwood and he was not happy with us and he startled us. And so we just let him go on his merry way and off he went. And, and the crazy thing is we were filming. So I got <laughs> it on camera and all of a sudden you just see me jump back and I'm pointing. And then here comes this massive black snake out of the boxwood. It was fantastic. <laughs> oh, Yeah. I like that. <laughs> In your professional career, who's been your biggest influencer? It really would be my mom. I know that being a, quote, self-taught gardener, because Jerry and I both went to school to be teachers, our education background is in education. And looking at that, my biggest influence has to be my mom, because she has been a gardener her whole life. She, too, was a teacher, and it wasn't until she retired from teaching about 13 years ago that she really was able to devote time to her garden like she wants to. She has the most beautiful dry shade garden you have ever seen. She has always just encouraged both myself and Jerry just to go for it. If we wanted to try something, she was like, do it. So that's for me has been the biggest influence is that she has always encouraged us to try something new. Don't be afraid. Just do it. If something fails, learn from it, and then continue to move on and do it better the next time. Not to mention, of course, all the plant knowledge that she has is amazing. These are some of my funnest times is when we get Mimi to come down to the house and she and I, we quote, piddle in the garden. We're just puttering around, right? You're doing a little of this, a little of that. She is the one that challenges me. She introduces me to new plants. She gives me tips and tricks. I would say definitely she has been the biggest influence in my gardening life. What is your most valuable garden mistake? Early on, killing plants. Not planning on it, <laughs> right? We all do it. I mean, even today, even as a seasoned gardener, someone who owns a retail nursery, this is my business. This is what I do. But you are dealing with a live thing and killing those plants unintentionally and realizing it's okay. It's a plant. And you figure out being a student of your own garden, what did I do wrong? Was it something I did? Was it the environment completely out of my control? Is this the wrong plant for the wrong situation? Or did I put it in the wrong spot? What can I do differently next time to ensure that either plant is successful or the garden space is successful? Just getting out there and trying and realizing it's okay to have mistakes happen or that plants die. It's okay. Learn from it and do better next time. What have you recently learned about horticulture or gardening? Gosh, I'm always learning, right? We're always out there learning new things, talking to different professionals, other gardeners. What can I do differently? So many things. Let's see, camellias. Last year, I realized I do not have enough camellias in my life. I need more camellias. Going out and finding some great camellias and really learning how, what is it that makes a camellia thrive and growing, planting at that right time. 
We're kind of ending that time for us in North Carolina. Fall is a great time to plant them. Amending the soil is important. Just trying to make sure that they are really well established in those first couple of years. And then that way you'll have great success with them for many years to come. We're always out there and we're always learning and talking to people. I think that's a great tip for a new gardener is to find some gardening folks that you really enjoy hanging out with. A great place to start is your local garden center. Go to your local garden center and ask lots of questions. They want you to ask questions. We learn from each other. I have learned so much from my customers on just various things. One of our sweet customers, Miss Kathy, she is an amazing gardener. She has really helped me with my hen and chicks this year. I had a great success with my hen and chick. She told me, she said, no, Jenny, they can handle our cold winters and they will do great. She said, but they cannot handle all of our wetness. Have them in containers. You need to take your hen and chicks and stick them on your porch. That way they do not rot during the winter. And I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, Miss Kathy. That is what I am doing. Just talking to other folks who have maybe a little bit more experience and swapping stories with each other. That is one of the best ways to learn because we're always learning. Yeah. I'd like for you to complete this statement. In my garden, I have. Lots of fun. (laughs) Gardening should be fun. It should not be stressful. There are stressful moments, of course, right? But I have fun. I go out there and I enjoy my space, always creating and thinking and dreaming. What can I do different? Is this plant happy here or are we doing good? Okay, what am I missing? And so for me, that is fun. The constant creative side of developing your gardens and looking at that garden for 12 months of the year. Am I missing something in a season? Okay, what can I add to this garden that will make it really pop in late winter? For me, that's fun. I think it is fun to dream and to be creative. I think some of the best times to be a gardener is about January and February because you're just inside surrounded by all these great plant catalogs and you're dreaming of these fun projects that you're going to do coming in the next season. Fun. I have fun in my garden. Tell us about your garden. It is a full sun garden. When Jerry and I built our house, we built in the middle of a field, no trees around our house whatsoever. To push this point, we've been in our house, it'll be 19 years in January, and we've never cleaned out our gutters because we don't have any trees to clean out gutters. So if that kind of gives you an idea of how much sun I have, then that kind of lets you in on that little secret. It is a full sun garden. The soil overall was terrible. Of course, it is that red clay, not a whole lot of organic matter. So we have really had to add, mend, and constantly build up the ecosystem within our soil. I do have two little shade gardens here at the house, and it is shade that the house gives off. I really cherish those little shade spots because I have so much full, full, hot sun. So much of my garden is sun up to sundown. And that is what my biggest struggle is as a gardener, is finding the plant that can handle that amount of heat during the hottest parts of the year. What are your future plans for your garden? Because we built our house in a huge wide open space, my ultimate dream for my gardens is to have different garden rooms in 30 years from now, a beautiful, mature garden that gives four seasons of interest that has a little bit of mystery to it, that you're in a spot and you're like, I wonder what's around that corner. Ooh, I wonder what's behind that tree. I wonder where that path leads. Just develop those gardens over the coming years, bit by bit, piece by piece, 
when I'm gone, that people will be able to come in and say, this garden was loved and cherished. Jenny, tell us how people may connect with you. The best way to connect with us, Creekside Nursery in Dallas, North Carolina, is through our social media platforms. And our biggest is our YouTube channel, which is Gardening with Creekside. And then, of course, we have a website by the same name, gardeningwithcreekside.com. This has been Episode 88, Be a Student of Your Garden, with Jenny Simpson on the Garden Question Podcast. Thank you, Jenny. You're awesome. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question Podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question Podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.